0: the chase okay what are you guys selling
1: you're drowning and i throw you a life jacket would you grab it yes good pick up 200 shares i won't let you down pay
0: him pay that man his money
1: ask them how they'd like to see 30 40 percent returns what are they gonna say no i don't want to see those returns where's the money labowski you're gonna make a lot of money right be aggressive learn how to push show them a three percent return I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend.
0: I'm a big fan of money.
1: Move around. Motion creates emotion.
2: I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. World well, Warpets, Jackson Jacks. I'm Tom Allen. Mr. Matt Weber on the board. S&P futures are up uh, 10 bucks. NASDAQ futures uh, are up uh, 85 So we're uh, still in rally mode here after being in rally mode yesterday. We dipped a little on the clothes yesterday, but still, it was a real strong day. Mr. Lou, how are you? Good morning, sir. Um, we had a little bit of a drop on the clothes so yesterday. You think that had anything to do with that poor lady from Indiana getting killed in the car crash? A Republican Yeah, uh, you
3: know, I, I don't I don't know I don't know I, I saw that story. I don't know how that works and I don't know who you know do they have to have a special election to fill her seat? I presume they do.
2: I think uh, for the house you always I
3: don't know have how that affects the upcoming, you know, swing, but I hope it's a swing in the House of Representatives.
2: Well what you uh I mean, she's in a pretty Republican district, uh, El and South Bend in that area. But I, I think the uh, you always have to have an election in the House. It's a people's house, right? Although, yeah, I don't. Th- well, you know, it yeah, I, may, I it may go vacant until November. I mean, it's pretty close. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they
3: can. Uh, they can appoint somebody to to fill it. It's not like a Senate seat. So, um, yeah. So they're going to be down. The Republicans will be down one vote. In the uh, in the house, her her district included South Bend. Yeah. Well, that's not that's not a conservative area. That's where that idiot Secretary of Transportation
4: came from, it's, isn't
2: it? It's that whole uh, that whole area, uh, Elkhart County, and well, South okay. Bend is St. Joseph County. That whole that whole area up there. She was a uh, pretty high up the scale. I mean, she was on the Ways and Means Committee, and she was on something else. She was a,
3: she was well, a, she was. A, she, she got a she got a shout out. I saw on Twitter from uh, Melania Trump. So she was doing some she was doing some fairly high end work with uh, foster children too.
2: Well, she actually got a pretty big shout out from your uh, the guy you don't like, the Trust Transportation Secretary. I guess they worked um, together when he was mayor well, there. He's a he's a twit, mm-hmm. but but it was nice of him. Good good for him. For well, I'm sure on. he had to. I mean, sure that, had, we had to work that, with that's her.
3: That's tragic. It, that's tragic. It killed her. Uh, it killed her campaign manager and somebody else in the car, and they killed somebody in the other car, right? Well,
2: they didn't. The other guy killed them. He went across the road, evidently.
3: Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, that—that's that well, what I heard on the radio. Terrible. Oh, I, yeah. I, I'm sorry to hear that. I I wanted to lead briefly, given our our sports you know requirement, uh, with a quick discussion about Deshaun Watson and how that case is playing out. Because it leads to a broader issue that uh, you know you and I have talked about before. Well, we um,
2: got to do that. We got to do that. We got to do about the lawsuit with the golfers, and we have to. Yeah, mourn. that, that
3: matched up. That matched up two of your favorite things: sports and antitrust.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then to uh, talk a little bit about uh, Vince Scully. Just remember, losing feels worse than winning feels good.
3: I like that. I I absolutely I absolutely agree with that. I, I absolutely agree with that sentiment. Anyway, the Watson case takes another interesting turn because the, the judge that they used as an arbitrator, uh, as far as I can tell, did what she was supposed to do. She took the briefs of the two parties. She made a finding that this guy was uh, predatory and had engaged in conduct that violated the NFL's uh, domestic violence uh, policy and, and in terms of conduct and she did also find that there was no force involved that it wasn't a force issue and mm-hmm. then she said okay so in looking at NFL cases where force was not an issue but the person engaged in, in sexual misconduct and violation of the policy the, the worst uh the worst penalty, or the, the standard penalty, is three-game suspension. Uh, this is a this is a bad case, a, a, a worst case. So I'm going to double it to six. And uh, you know, I, again, this goes to my you know my personal opinion of, of you know the involvement of, of employers in their off-duty in the off-duty conduct of their employees, and and you know, where show me the link between. What this guy did, and your damage to your product and your brand, and, and we we can go from there. Um, this raised outrage in the Park Avenue offices of the NFL, and I assume among the Park Avenue friends of Roger Goodell. And so the NFL is going to appeal. They've announced that they're going to appeal the the uh, penalty imposed by the arbitrator, and. Uh, the final appellate authority is Roger Goodell. So, given that he runs the NFL, the NFL is appealing the the case, and Goodell is the final appellate authority. Uh, I suspect they're gonna they're gonna go after him, uh, probably to go with. They're asking for an indefinite suspension. I suspect what they'll do is maybe double or or make the penalty uh, suspension for a season. But what I really think they're going to try to do is go after money and and try to find him because, because obviously the Browns designed Watson's contract this year with, uh, with the idea that if they were going to suspend him from games, it wasn't going to hurt him very much. He gets, a, I think it's a $46 million payout this year. As a, or $45 million payout this year as a bonus not his salary and, and the NFL uh, penalty provisions for game suspension doesn't touch that bonus. So right, so back, up, back up a second what we've got to do is, is fine him in some in some major way and, and that's that'll be the recommendation. And then then it gets interesting because you know the union signed this contract it it takes a lot. And to overturn an arbitrator award and, and then an ultimate collectively bargained appellate process absent some showing that, that the, uh, you know, the appellate authority somehow overstepped the terms of the contract or the meaning of the contract with the parties. I, I think that Goodell has got a ton of discretion under the terms of that, that CBA with respect to what he can do and as long as he doesn't go completely crazy uh, a federal court is going to look at that and say, yeah, I don't think I don't think uh, this steps outside the, the bounds of the CBA, the parties negotiated for this, and we are not going to get in the middle of this contract dispute All
2: right, back up I think that's
3: where that goes
2: Well, how, how, did, how did this thing end up in arbitration? He He's, he's fined people and, and suspended people before We never went to arbitration, how did this one end up in arbitration?
3: Well, this is the this is the first test of the new arbitration system and grievance system that the uh, that the NFL or penalty system that the NFL put in place under the new collective bargaining. So this is the first. This is the, this first is the first big
2: the f- test of it. Yeah I, yeah, I kind of thought it was the so first time, but
3: of, yeah. Instead of going straight to Goodell, who used to be the judge, jury, and executioner, the the union demanded and the NFL agreed to interpose a uh, a neutral. "Quote unquote neutral arbitrator in the form of this federal judge, who was hired to hear these these cases. So the penalty, you know, the penalty phase is the, the jury uh, is determined by uh, by this this, arb- this arbitrator, and she she sits down, listens to the listens to the case. The, the NFL asks for a certain penalty. The union. Uh, says no, you can't do that. And then she makes the initial call, and then the appellate authority is Goodell. and i'm i, I I'm not clear why the union agreed that Goodell could increase the penalty on appeal versus uh, you know just either reduce it or or it stays the same. That's the normal that would be a normal uh, you know, a normal term for a collective bargaining agreement, but they agreed that it could re- increase it. And as long as he's got that discretion and is not is not going crazy, as I said, on the on the penalty, I think that's gonna be upheld. I I personally think that the six game suspension is rationally related to what the NFL has done in the past. I don't think there's going to be any viewing or commercial impact from Watson if he steps out onto the field on day one versus whether he he has a couple of games suspension. I don't think it makes any difference at all for the fan base.
2: Well, I don't... You know, he
3: paid... Everybody knows Everybody knows he paid... You know, he paid off those lawsuits. So he's he's suffered a civil penalty. So, I mean, from the perspective of the fan base, I, I think that this is... You know, he doesn't need to sit out anything. The, the people I hear clamoring for are not fans. He got applauded at a training camp.
2: Well... Baseball, so I mean, the football people fans are
3: screaming for this. Are sports journalists, not
2: not well? You fans. sure? Yeah, you sure? But you can't go by fans. If you brought, brought somebody out of jail to play for the Bears, they'd cheer them.
3: But but that's that's what I mean. The fans the fans are the the, the only impact that an employer is allowed or should be allowed to take with respect to off work conduct by by an employee that you know, is is the impact on the employer's business. And in some cases, you know, you can you can do whatever you want and in some cases the impact is clear. That that, you know, somebody who, for example, gets a, a DUI who, who is uh, you know driving a driving a vehicle for the company, and they get a DUI and the employer says, Well I'm not gonna take that risk anymore and, and fires them. That there's a direct straight line between between off duty conduct and the and the job. That that does not
2: exist here, and so well, who's who's, uh, who's doing I, these? Uh, who's putting these? I you know I don't know. Maybe I'm. Uh, I won't say never because we get in these negotiations. Obviously, there's a lot of quid pro quo. But what would what would be the point of going through this exercise of having an arbitrator to make it seem like it's fair? Only to go back to the same guy anyway for the final decision. What, it, what, would that make so sense? What's, what, why why even have the the, the facade out there of, of this being somewhat like uh, it's supposed to be uh, neutral. Why do I even do that?
3: Well, I mean that, that that's the question. Um, it, it so so you you put this uh, you put the system in place. The goal of the system was to take the uh, the league, which which has not done a great job in in the way it's managed its discipline cases, but to take the league out of the out of the loop on this so that you get an, at least an initial determination by a neutral party. And uh, my, my per, again, my personal opinion is that the reason the league looks bad over and over again on these things is that this is not the league's job. You, the, the league is trying to enforce some kind of social norm, societal norm that has nothing to do with its business except in the most tangential way, and that is fan-based support. You know, the fan base support is that—that's that's why these clauses about conduct and things like that are in there. This is the entertainment business; people have to like your players. If if uh, they don't like them, and they're not showing up for games, and they're not turning on games, or there's some protest,
2: yeah, but like then, is a very interesting seeing, term.
3: You know, then, then 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 you've got a then you've got a direct link. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen here. Uh. I, don't, I'm, I'm, uh, I mean, I mean, I, I I always go back. I always go back to the Ray Rice case, Chief. You know that, that was that was as bad uh, a, a fact pattern as as you can imagine. You know him literally punching his fiance in an elevator, her head bouncing off the wall as she goes unconscious, and then him dragging her out of the elevator by her feet. You know on the security cam, horrific, you know horrific evidence. And, and what was the impact with regard to NFL viewing when he returned to play? Nothing. Nobody well, cared. But I
2: mean, the people in he Baltimore was, was, loved uh, the middle linebacker who killed somebody. I mean, <laughs> you got not go by the fans who love somebody. Oh, yeah. Little, somebody. Uh, little,
3: uh, the guy from, uh, well, you're talking about Ray Lewis, who yeah. he didn't kill anybody. He just, he just was. He, he sort was of there. Interfered with the guys who killed people. Uh. Um, but but Leonard Leonard Little, the defensive tackle for for the Rams, who who was involved in I think two vehicular hummus, vehicular homicide uh, or, or manslaughter cases. Um, yeah, I, I mean, fine. You know, it, why do we why do we go to the employer? Why do we run to the employer and say you've got to impose social justice or whatever our idea of justice is on this guy? You know, Ray Rice's Ray Rice's fiance. Uh, who he ultimately married went to Goodell when that or whoever it was because the head was Goodell was the uh, the commissioner when this happened and said don't suspend him we need the money don't you know don't don't take him out and and they did you know they did anyway his career his career ended after the video came out and and again my my why why do we ask employers to do this we wouldn't ask your employer to do that we wouldn't I mean, I mean, if I murdered somebody, I, I suppose my employer would would say, yeah, he's probably not fit to be a lawyer. But but just normal, you know, off-duty conduct like this, that do, why do we why do we ask employers to to take this kind of step, absent a direct connection
2: to their work performance? Well, I think if every time somebody somebody or their wife or somebody has a domestic issue. The last thing you want to do is to fire either one of the people. Talk about making it worse. I
3: yeah, I I, I would think so. Um, you know, do do we want to do? We, are, are we still laboring under the perception that our sports stars are models for conduct? I I I don't think so.
2: Well, look at the look I, at I the, Raiders. Lecture, the Raiders. Raiders
3: were most small military academy in Colorado on this issue and I would say why do, why do we care as a society about this and every now and then one of the cadets would stick, stick her hand up and say well I mean these guys are role models and I said really you model your behavior on, a profession, on professional athletes you're, you're using drugs and punching people out and you know run around you know wrecking hotel rooms
2: remember and, the movie the, uh, the, we, the Brian we, know that,
3: we know that's not true
2: Remember the movie *The Tale where the kids' dad kept telling them what, what how great Mickey Mantle and all these guys were, and how good guys they were. <laughs> and the the mafia guy yeah. kept saying they're not good guys; they're, they're bleeps. <laughs> I don't know if they're bleeps. Yeah.
3: no, no. no I, I mean, I mean that's that we we put these guys, and, and again, I I'm just raising I'm raising the issue. In some cases, fine. You know, they're they're obviously these people are obviously not fit for for you know. Being teammates or whatever, but the short answer is, and 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 we should acknowledge the reality. If you're really good, if you're a really good football player or a really fine athlete, and you and you have performed well. You the standard for you is completely different than some guy who who is just off the street, and and we we need to just acknowledge that, and say fine you know we're gonna we're gonna just look at where we can show a direct connection to economic impact uh, or where we think where we reasonably believe this is gonna have a huge a huge hit then then let's take let's take action but but otherwise what's happening with Watson just really smells of, of vengeance you know revenge. Um, let's make the rest of us feel good because we're really we're really screwing this guy. I, I, I I'm I'm sorry. I don't get excited about this kind of stuff.
2: Well, to the, the think that it, it, and its not like there aren't people that are uh, are spectacular here. I mean, got uh, uh, the guy from the uh, the Cubs is that one of the Yankees, the cancer survivor. I mean, uh, he you know he would be in these hospitals, you know, one or two nights a week sometime. Uh, my buddy Bill Murphy, one of his, one of his kids, his, his uh, grandkids w- was in there for something else, but he came by. Uh, what was his name? I'm gonna brain dead. uh cup first baseman, man. Uh, I don't know. I'll think of his name. But the uh, You're talking about Rizzo. Yeah, he's a cancer survivor, and he he spent uh, one or two nights a week in hospitals, looking, well visiting kids. He's a terrific guy. But I mean, I, I think that's, you know, the in, in football though, especially with all this stuff coming down. I don't know that the average person there is somebody you want to hang out with. I mean, uh, and the pampering and the, and the difference in salary and the difference in lifestyle. I mean, I don't know how, what the connection is there with a regular person. with this guy, uh, this guy that the San Diego just grabbed, he turned down a four hundred sixty million dollar deal at age twenty I mean, really? three. That's
5: a rumor. I don't know if that's been confirmed, but that that's definitely out there.
2: Well, it's it's out there for sure. And well, there's a, there's a reason why Washington couldn't wait to get rid of him. Yeah, we talk about the franchise for the next two decades, for God's sake. Um, I mean, there's, there's some level at which you just got to say no, Mas. And you know, hey, you know, speaking I, of, I,
3: I, 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 I agree. And, and at some, at some level, you know, the, 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 these guys become these guys become problem children for, for everybody. And 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 the club, the club can say, look, there's a, you know, we're tired of managing the, we're tired of managing the, the, uh, you know, the drama. I mean, I mean, literally, that's what, that's one of the reasons Tim Tebow isn't playing in the NFL. The the clubs, the clubs got tired or were tired or were afraid of the distraction that, that having somebody with a very fervent fan base, almost religious fervent, uh, religiously fervent fan base, uh, brings into, into a clubhouse. And and you know, I thought what happened with Tebow was manifestly unfair. But I understand. I understand the way, it, you know, the way guys look at it. Um, I, I will tell you from perspective of the players, not the coaches, but the players. Um, I I know that most of the players look at it and go, well, you know, he he's paid off his civil suits. He's not in jail. Nobody's. He's not been charged with criminal cases. Um, whatever whatever he did, he's he's made restitution for to the satisfaction of his victims. So so what do I care?
2: Yeah, I would um, feel the same way about, about this white guy. There's no doesn't seem to be any violence, just kind of creepy I and mean, very creepy. But uh,
3: oh oh no, don't don't I'm not I'm not defending I'm not defending what he allegedly did. I'm not defending the you know and and, and listen, if a bunch of players walked in the door at the Browns and said. This guy is is strange. He's a problem. He he you know whatever. Uh, the coaching staff could say, yeah, let's get rid of him. You know, he's not he's not going to be worth it if we can't build a team around him. You know, because of his because of his conduct or whatever. Um, it, it, and, and you know, you might see that, for example, if instead of a bunch of masseuses, he'd been molesting children. Oh, yeah, you know, he'd been accused of inappropriate, some kind of inappropriate conduct with kids. At that point, at that point, you, you now it gets possible to start drawing lines between that off-duty conduct and uh, and his own and, and the, the economic value to uh, to the club. That would be a clear, straight line. In this case, it the conduct is is bad. I'm not trying to defend it. But but that's what that's what the arbitrator found, and I'm I'll be real interested to see what how the NFL manages it and well, what they ultimately end up with.
2: Well, if he if he doubles it, then then the whole thing is is a, is a mirage, <laughs> or, or some kind of a fashion show. The uh, the arbitration in the first place, what's the point?
3: Well, I, yeah, and so the question the question becomes how the union would look at the at the the penalty. Um, right now, the Union thinks they've got a win. That six game suspension is a win for the union. and And so if, if, as I said, if Goodell comes in and and just doubles the penalty or makes it a year and imposes a fine, I don't think I don't think a federal court that's going to hear this uh, when the if the Union takes it up outside of uh, outside of the arbitration system, I don't think a federal
2: court's going to reverse them. Well, I've never. Well, being in the very arbitrating industry, that your your response, the, the 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 appeal shouldn't be to one side or another. I mean, really, <laughs> the appeal well, should agree. be the court.
3: I agree, but this is a collective bargain. I mean, the union the union negotiated this. So well, so this is this is something the union. Okay, but, you know,
2: you and I have and this. I you and I have this discussion. Uh, we don't want to relive it this morning because we have other stuff to talk about. But we have this discussion kind of all the time. It's probably the one thing that you and I, I uh, would say, vehemently disagree on. And uh, that when you're talking about a union bargaining with essentially a monopoly, the the can the contracts, even though they are collective bargaining agreements, turn out to be very one sided. You you can't. It's not. It's not a. You know. It's not a an apples and oranges game. The uh, Major
3: League Baseball Players Association and the National Basketball Players Association would. Beg, well, I, no, Those no, they you disagree? Why? No, no, they weren't one-sided. Well,
2: sure they are. My my, my point is, when, when Major League Baseball goes up against a monopoly, it's not the same as you and I going up against, you know, Joe's Red Hots. But it just isn't.
3: It, it it's not. But but when a union when a union and that's why that's why individual employment agreements are frequently. Voided by courts, or much more frequently voided by courts, than collectively bargained employment agreements. A collectively bargained employment agreement has a very special place in in terms of deference by courts, and and you know, I don't. I, at this stage, I would be very surprised, absent absent a complete disregard of the terms of the CBA, I would be very surprised if if a federal court would overturn Goodell. Doubling or tripling that that okay, suspension but, well,
2: and imposing a fine. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to win this argument. I never do with you. But I, my point is, is that if 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 you and I are working for a place that's a monopoly and we get all the rice we can eat and we go on, on, on and strike and, and it, they start killing us and after after six weeks we get all the rice we can eat plus some soy sauce. I guess it's a fair agreement because <laughs> it's an agreement. But it, it's it, it's not what we're coming. I'm saying you. No, nobody would have had, if, if you would have felt, you started with this guy being the entire arbiter of discipline. Okay, so now, but they, now they have a, they said, look, that's, that's, that looks awful, it is awful, we don't want that, let's bargain for having an arbitrator. Okay, but if you don't like what the arbitrator says, by the way, you can go back to being the total arbiter of discipline. That would not happen in the real world, I mean, in a, in a non-monopoly situation. I don't uh, think the courts would be, the. I'm
3: surprised, I'm surprised, I'm a little surprised at the term, but, you know, the short answer is the NFL's the employer and giving these guys millions of bucks, and and the NFL is going to reserve, and it's not unreasonable, I just am surprised the union couldn't couldn't dig it out a little bit more, but the NFL is going to reserve the right to make these kinds of calls for itself because these people work for the NFL.
2: But it's, the, the whole concept of the NFL and the Major League Baseball, you you know I love baseball. I like watching football. But it's not it is not the same. Uh Lou, it it just isn't. I mean, uh I mean you you talk about the Tim Tebow situation. If there were two leagues or three leagues, the other league might say, Hey, if this guy's gonna bring a bunch of people out to watch practice, I'm all for it. Not that he's a distraction for Tebow. Right? I mean SB futures up six and the Futures up thirty. Talk a bit about Vince Scully when we come back. Lou, I want you to talk about this uh the Chinese war thing we talked about yesterday, if you, if you listened in at all. Uh, we'll be right back. Stocks and Jacks.
1: How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks.
2: Hello and welcome back to Stockton Tax. I'm Tom Allen. Uh, SP Futures up. Uh, he's Mister Member on the board. SP Futures up seven and a quarter, and AS Futures up thirty-seven. This is after um, pretty huge up day yesterday. Even though we ducked on the close a little bit uh, from up seventy to up sixty in the spoo, so not much of a duck, but it was ten points real fast. Uh, over in Europe, we've got the uh, DAX up one forty-eight, one percent. FTSE up twenty-two point three percent. around up sixty-one point nine, which is kind of bizarre as the European markets. Uh, They claim they're muted, but they're not really muted. Bank of England imposes biggest rate hike in 27 years, a whole half a percent. And they said they're looking for an an extended recession, unlike our guys who are in denial. Denial. Uh, Over in Asia, we have the kneecap 190.7%, Shanghai up 25.8%, Hang Seng up 406, uh, that's 2%. Back over 20,000, 20,174, but they were down huge, I believe, on Monday, so... I think Hang Seng is still down for the week. Uh, Nikkei is probably up. Uh, over in the U.S., yesterday we had that was up 413. S&P up 63, huge day. Nasdaq up 319. Uh, Bands. This is the this is the bizarre part. These things are still way under three percent. 2.72. That's uh, minus two ticks this morning. Bund minus two ticks as well. Uh, 0.83. Uh, Japan uh, minus, point, uh, minus one tick to, um, to 0.17 which is the lowest we've seen in a while. So despite these guys raising these rates, they're doing something else to pour money into the system. It's am wondering how they're doing it, but they are. Uh, oil up 17 cents, 90.83, way under 100. Uh, Brent uh, down 26 cents, 96.52. Natural gas up 7, 8.33. Our Bob down a penny, they're down at 2.90. So we should be paying somewhere in the 3.80 range here and, and we're not, uh, obviously. Gold up 21 bucks, 1798, a big move in gold. Silver up 36 cents, twenty twenty five. Copper down a penny, 345. Uh, gold has been a big run the last couple of weeks. Well, big run from 1700 to 1800, roughly. But copper is not going anywhere, which is kind of interesting. Uh, we've got Bitcoin down 597, 22,881. And last, we've got the uh, euro is, uh, well, the dollar is 101 euros to the dollar. So. The dower, dower is up, uh, actually is down very slightly. Anyway, Air Force is Weather Sports.
5: 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. Off to a great start here on a Thursday morning. No delays to speak of anywhere on the area, expressways, roadways, or tollways. No accidents or stalls either. So enjoy a nice quiet commute if you're heading into downtown this morning. Weather today, a beautiful Uh, Day here in Chicago. Partly cloudy skies, a high of 79. The humidity much lower than it's been the last couple of days. So it should be a, a perfect day. Right now it's mostly cloudy and 75 going up to a high of 79. For our Phoenix listeners, rain in the forecast this morning. In fact, it's raining right now and it's 70 degrees going up to a partly cloudy high of 99 later on. In sports, the White Sox have now won 7 of 10. They beat the Royals 4-1 yesterday, winning 2 of 3 in that series. Sox are two games back of Minnesota, one game back of Cleveland uh, for third place in the division as the Sox are, have been making up ground over the last couple of weeks. Cubs and Cardinals were rained out down in St. Louis. They'll play a day-night doubleheader today, one first pitch for Game 1. Then Game 2 is the regularly scheduled 6.45 p.m. Lastly, Diamondbacks lost to the Guardians 7-4, and as Chief touched on in the last half hour, legendary voice of the Dodgers, Vin Scully, died uh, at the age of 94. He was the voice of both the Brooklyn and L.A. Dodgers uh, for the past 67 seasons before he retired last year. Over that uh, span, uh, obviously... Three seasons in Brooklyn. Then he moved to LA with the team. He called 21 no hitters, three perfect games, and six Dodgers World Series titles. Chief.
2: The uh, there's a couple of, a couple of quotes here. Actually, my favorite one is not in here. But um, Ludo, don't don't take this bad. It's a mere moment in a man's life between an All Star game and an old timers game.
4: <laughs>
2: yeah. It's yeah. all. It's easier to pick a fast runner.
3: I, I, my all-time, I think I think I've told you, and I, I, this is not a Vin Scully quote. My all-time favorite sports quote that I can I can think of at least initially is the one that I saw the first time I went into the Minnesota Vikings locker room, and I, it was above the locker of one of my dad's players, and it says, "Humility is only a play away."
2: <laughs> uh, good is not good when better is expected. Actually, my favorite was. Uh, he was down with Don, Don Drysdale, and I don't know what possessed me to be listening to him. And it was an injury report came from some guy, and he said to Drysdale, he he goes, he is like the rest of us, day to day.
4: <laughs>
2: but hey, uh, Everyone <laughs> uses that one now. Yeah. <laughs> but Manny, I, you... Uh, I, uh, I,
3: loved, I loved listening to his voice, because he put, you know, his, his intonation and his inflection... Uh, was was unique among among sportscasters and i i love to listen to him make calls and and you know the level of excitement that would come into his his voice as as something big was happening um supposedly the Kofax the Kofax world series game in the 60s was supposed to be one of the greatest one of his greatest calls but in my opinion it's the kirk gibson home run uh against oakland in the f- opening game of that World Series, when uh, Lasorda was the manager,
5: yep, nineteen eighty-eight. Uh, the
3: whole, yeah, the whole process. The, yeah, I mean, that is a that is a terrific video to watch, but just to listen to him talk and build up the suspension, the suspense that was that was uh, developing in that game is just remarkable. Well,
2: the uh, when you, those calls back in those old World Series, you get unlike now, where every one of these <laughs> places seems to have this huge stable of. I won't say idiots. A stable of people, they didn't have your your Channel Seven. Those those national uh, networks didn't have their own broadcasters. So when it came to the World Series, they would select one of the good local guys to do. So Vince Scully actually did you know, TV for a World Series. Matter of fact, like the uh, Willie Mays huge catch, it was Jack Brickhouse on the call because they right. bar- they borrowed Jack. Yeah, Vince Scully
5: w- did the Hank Aaron seven hundred fifteenth home run, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But, but Mr. Weber asked on the way in. How the hell did he get this job so young? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. Talk about people with energy. He went to Fordham University. While at Fordham, he helped found the FM radio station, uh, which now presents a Vince Scully Lifetime Achievement Award each year, was assistant sports editor for the, the Fordham Ram his senior year, sang in the barbershop quartet, played center field for the Fordham Rams baseball field, and called radio broadcasts for Rams baseball, football, and basketball. So we're talking about a guy with some energy. Earned a degree and sent about 150 letters to stations along the eastern seaboard. Received only one response. From CBS radio affiliate WTOP in Washington, who hired him as a fill-in. Red Barber, the sports director of CBS radio network, recruited Scully for its college football uh, coverage. Scully impressed his boss. Get a load of this. He he went to uh, Fenway Park, the University of Maryland, playing Boston University. They wouldn't let him in the press box. So it's a frigid day, and he did the game from the roof, expecting, in a, expecting an enclosed press box. Scully had left his coat and gloves in his hotel, but never mentioned his t- discomfort on the air. The, g- the game proved to be like a big, uh, would, would kind of put him on the map with all the people. So he, the barber mentioned Scully, and uh, he would be would, uh, would anyway. He went to he somebody from the Dodgers left to go to the Giants, and. uh, they hired him as the third person in the booth when Red Barber was still there, evidently. That's how he got the job so young, Matty. But now, the question is, would Mr. Matt Weber have mentioned somewhere on the air how cold he was? I think he would have. Absolutely. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have just sucked it up the whole the whole game?
5: I mean, I'd make it part of the broadcast. <laughs>
2: you were freezing.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: That, that, uh, that make-it-about-me tendency in sports journalism is, is dramatic. It's, Absolutely. It's risen lately, I, I um, you know, the, the the old school guys, the guys that I grew up listening to, call call games. It was never supposed to be about the announcer. It was not. But you know, you you your job was to your job was to fill with the time with with commentary or stories or whatever. But but it was not to talk about you. And uh, I, I we've gotten a boy. We've gotten away from that.
2: Yeah, Lou. I got a quick question on an agreement, but I want to mention the thing I covered the other day. And I, want
3: I want to talk. I want to talk about China. I did not catch the discussion. Right, well, right, about one, one, war, so one second. I'd be, very, I, I'd be very
2: interested to talk okay, to you about that. Well, before we do that, I don't want to. I don't. I'm talking about inflation from blue in the head, uh, not just in the face. But I just heard in the way in this morning. I was picking Maddie up that the Boeing has just uh, finished this big strike, or they, they've signed a new contract. I don't. Think they went on strike, but anyway, twenty five hundred people. The three-year contract and the, the uh, wage increase over the three years—the total is fourteen percent. Lou, what what the bleep are they thinking? That they're not even breaking even for God's sake.
3: No, but it's uh, but it's at least something. And you know who knows who knows what. So so the Boeing union Boeing unions are fairly sophisticated. I suspect the company put the books out in front of the union and said here's our projections here's where we can we can give you money here's where we can't and and oh by the way there's a recession coming and you guys you know a bunch of you guys could be could be laid off so we think you know here's what we're looking at in terms of our projected financials uh... here's what we can afford and they they came to an agreement that, that that's typically the way these kinds of things work when you've got you've got these kinds of, of you know, arrangement's working, and it's only a three-year deal.
2: But don't, but don't, so, you, can't you get an so attorney we, over the age of forty that knows what an escalation clause is? How do you not have an escalation clause with these buffoons in Washington running this inflation at ten and twelve percent?
3: Uh, they, they apparently, the union was willing to trade off something else for an escal for an escalator. I, you know, I, I just—it's all—it's all, all trade offs You, you, uh, my guess would be that the benefits package might. Might more than make up for inflation, or they may have bolstered the benefits package in exchange for a fixed, a fixed income um, system. Okay,
2: I'm with uh, you there. Are,
3: there are ways to there are ways to adjust this so that the overall value of the package is is more will will equal the the inflation rise. This, by the way, was one of the toughest things to try to explain to NFL players when you. When you talk to them about a collective bargaining agreement and, and it try to explain to them, look, your paycheck is actually not going to get that much bigger, but we have, you know, the the league has agreed to contribute, you know, four billion dollars over over the next the length of this contract, this six-year contract. They're going to pump four billion dollars into uh, your pension, so that if you if you last more than a year or two in the league, you will you'll have a much better pension starting at age 40 or age 45. And uh, you try to explain that to play, the players, and they just they go, no, man, I, I don't care. I want the money now.
2: I, yeah. I, would, I would agree with that. But I guess I, I, the part that... I've got cars to buy. Yeah. Well, the, the part that frosts me is you and I can sit there. I'm on one side and, and, the, and the other. And we can, we can both opine on what our opinion might be on where the inflation is going to be for three years. And we might say this will cover it or this will cover it or this won't cover it. Or We can argue back and forth. The fact is neither one of us know. It's out of our hands. That's that's the point. It's a, the Fed is going to determine this even though they claim they aren't. What what if it's 20%? Why 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 would anybody take a chance on that? I mean or even if you said if, if it's over if it's over, we might say it's going to be 5% or 6%, why not have something in there? Well, guess what? If it, if it reaches 10, everybody gets a 2% raise, something like that. You would think
3: uh, I, I agree that, that maybe and I'm, I'm guessing that was certainly raised by the union but the company the company and I don't know the company came back and said look here are the books here's what we, we expect to happen and uh, you know here's here's where we can make our, our play and uh, we can't we can't afford if it if, if you, you know how this works chief labor costs are the are the most um, or are the easiest things to to deal with in terms of of Economic performance by a by a company, Uh, the 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 company may have gone to the union and said, "Look, in exchange for this fourteen percent cap on uh, on wage wage rates, we're not going to lay anybody off."
2: I'm going to start losing business. I'll bet you uh, an adult beverage or whatever you want, Lou. That in the next three years, Boeing raises the price of the planes more than fourteen percent. Probably, probably true based on what we're seeing. Yeah. Oh, hey, uh,
3: Boeing. 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 Boeing's. You know, Boeing's military contracts have got some trouble. They they supposedly are starting to dig their way out of it, but they, they have not. They have not done a great job with their airplanes.
2: Well, they're still screwing around with the tanker thing, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the one I'm thinking of.
3: So so talk. Uh, let's let's break some China.
2: Yeah. What, the, uh, uh, what, what well, was the issue that came up? Well, I, sorry, I was, uh, I it, it was a was sent a show. I was sent a, 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 a missive one of our conservative uh, listeners and correspondents, uh, regarding some, some guy writes this thing for the New York Post, which, <laughs> as I went through all the headlines in there, I'm going, what the hell kind of paper is this? But anyway, but the guy was, of course, you know, ragging huge on Biden and Obama and these guys. Uh, it's, all, it's all for all the Democrats. But basically, he, he reputed himself to be somebody who uh, is from the military and is, or from somewhere and has, has repeatedly done war games, Based on the, the Taiwanese situation, not not a world war where where China's trying to kill everybody here and us kill everybody there, but basically a regional conflict uh, in that area. And he says every single time he did it, no matter what, he, how he managed to change the, the rules and the odds, China always wins. Yep, and that's, uh, been,
3: that's been true. That's been true for at least twenty years. I
2: and mean, he's convinced that they they have the ability to knock out enough satellites. Uh, to basically make us blind and deaf in that area of the world uh, and they will they have enough to to basically take essentially what the Japanese maybe could have done if they were if they were if they weren't stupid enough to have a sneak attack at Pearl Harbor essentially the same playbook where they would we get so tired of it over there we'd say the hell with it keep the place uh they, you know we'd lose a few aircraft carriers out of the gate a few cruisers and all of a sudden, we we wouldn't really want to just start bombing Beijing because they're not going to bomb us. And all of a sudden, in, in four months, it's a major pain in the ass for us. And we just save the hell with it. I and mean, that's basically. But the communication, the ability to communicate over there would have to be dramatic. And we would. He thinks they could knock that out of us. Is that you think they could? I
3: I think they could raise. Given so so, so here's the issue. You've got a force on the U.S. side that is not local, that is sea-based. And, and we have to move enough assets in close enough to be able to, to counter a force that is land-based and close. And the short answer is they can throw a lot of airplanes and a lot of missiles at us they can basically because of because of their ability to overwhelm our sea-based defenses they can deny access to a significant portion of the ocean over there including the area around taiwan if they want to do it if they want to expend that kind of effort if we go in there we simply will not have the numbers to to deal with them i mean i mean let let's this got gamed out. As, as I said, this has been this case for 20 years. This got gamed out 20 years ago, when when we said, okay, let's take our let's take our top of the line fighters that we've got forward deployed at Kadena, in Okinawa, uh, and this is this was after Clark, of course, was clo- was closed. But let's take everything we've got at Guam, and uh, and and that's those are our closest bases. You know, a couple of hundred miles away. We've got to fly, and we've got to fly to get there. If we try to put our aircraft carriers in there, our our armament on those carriers is going to be spent not defending Taiwan. It's going to be spent defending the carriers because they can allocate, they'll allocate, you know, 100 missiles per, per, per ship in a carrier battle group, all coming in at Mach 2, all coming in at the high speed, you know, coming in from different directions, and our our we we don't have enough missiles. And even if our missiles killed everything that, that they were fired at, we don't have enough missiles and shipborne defenses to take down all of that stuff. So so we're reduced to flying our our assets in there, which means we've got to use tankers, and we've got to have AWACS aircraft up providing providing radar coverage. You know, we we got a lot of fighters, but we don't have a lot of tankers, and we don't have a lot of of AWACS aircraft. And so now we're faced with the prospect of refueling fighters that might be able to stay in the air for I don't know, you know, thirty minutes, forty minutes over the target, but then have to go back and hit a tanker again before they can they can come back in. Um, they shoot down the tankers. The tankers don't have any self-defense capability. They can drive the tankers far enough out of the of the area so that the fuel that they give doesn't doesn't really make that much of a difference for the airplanes coming in our fighters that are coming I, I mean the, 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 it's a numbers game we, we come in we come in with f22s you know they're they're basically invisible and f35s they're basically invisible but they carry only four to six missiles each in their internal base if you hang missiles on their wings they suddenly become visible to radar and now they're not stealth anymore and they lose their advantage. So, so we, we come in with four to six missiles in the, in the bay, so they're stealthed in there. The minute they fire the missiles, they become, they become exposed, although not for very long. The, the average, the MiG-35, or the Chinese derivative of the, of the, the um, Sukhoi, uh, not the MiG-35, the Sukhoi-35, the SU-35s and SU-37s that, that come off, they carry an average of 12 missiles or 16 missiles in their external pods and there's and there's hundreds of them not to, and add on top of that within that envelope you've got some very effective shipborne samrs now the systems don't always work the way they're supposed to and if the chinese haven't done the maintenance on them like the russians have demonstrated then they're not going to work very well but but we are not going to be able to charge into a situation like that with conventional weapons and expect to be able to, to hold the airspace and the battle space over Taiwan. The best, the best scenario that I've read on this whole situation is that we arm Taiwan to the hilt with defensive systems, precision-guided systems that will make any Chinese attempt to, to occupy the island or take over the island very expensive.
2: Yeah, but how the hell are we gonna do that? And, and,
3: yeah. Well well we we give them we give them, you know, surface to air and surface to surface missile systems and anti ship systems that will effectively shut down the strait, notwithstanding whatever China wants to throw at, at Taiwan. You know, Taiwan's airfields are not gonna last more than than thirty minutes. Our our airfields at Kadena, if the Chinese decide that they want to deny that are not going to last more than thirty minutes. They'll crater those runways. Um, we we have to we have to be prepared to to understand that, that they have because of the proximity of their landmass, they have the ability to throw a lot more resources at this a lot more cheaply than we do. And so the goal now is to make it's called the it's called the porcupine or hedgehog defense, where where you make you make uh, Taiwan a very painful target. You might be able to prevail, but you make it a very painful target, much like what we're doing with Ukraine.
2: Well, you and I have have uh, talked a bunch of times on this, and we've been on the show for a while, and uh, I don't understand how it seems to me is the, the the potential of the world problems gets more disparate. I mean, we might might have to do two th- things in two different directions, or at least, if we don't have the capability of that, it seems like people are getting pretty damn aggressive. Why have we gone from Sixteen carriers to ten. Why? Why are we? We're new carriers. Like six years to build. and We need probably seven of them, not one. I mean, what? Why do we keep? Uh, why do we keep going in this direction? Less and less and less.
3: Well, I mean, part of it. Part of it is our national dis- defense strategy. So, the, in the Obama administration, we, aban- we abandoned a long standing defense posture that we had adopted for since the end of the. Second World War, which was we needed to be able to fight a two-front battle, two major wars against against peer enemies, and that was a fight in the Pacific and a fight in Europe. And we we armed for that. Um, we're we're not from a from an expense perspective. We are not willing to pay the the cost to maintain that that amount or that that capability. We are we for years after the fall of the soviet union we had this we had this belief that if we could just integrate china and russia into world economies we would we, we would greatly reduce their belligerence and territorial ambitions uh and you know instead we enabled them or or, or the, the countries took advantage of that status to to maintain their you know their net their imperial ambitions um and, and so, you know, we, we and, and we expended, we expended what 70 percent of our military budget effort on the global war on terror because that had resulted in an attack on the homeland, and and the political leadership was absolutely convinced that the only way, you know, the only way to, you know, maintain any kind of credible status as a as a political power was to make sure something like that didn't happen again. And so we spent trillions and trillions of dollars fighting, you know, third world entities, and trying to trying to pacify third world entities that had no interest in being pacified. And and that's that's how that's where we frittered away our defense capability.
2: Which we sure was did. It, I mean, I remember smart? reading this thing. Well, once was it
3: smart? I don't know. Well, I mean, no, I mean, we didn't get attacked again. But you know, it cost a lot.
2: Yeah, well, I don't know. It that could have been gonna, done
3: probably a lot more cheaply.
2: I'm not so sure that uh, there's a quid pro quo in it. But I, I was reading this thing about aircraft carriers years ago and how if you want four available at any given time, you need 16. If you're going to put people out for six-month deployments, which is six months is a long time. As soon as you cut back to 12 or 10, now you're talking about two or three available and eight, eight- and ten-month deployments, which nobody wants to do. I, I don't see how you do that to people. I mean... You know, it's it's like when when people say you need to hire more cops. Well, if you if you want to if you want to have one more cop on the beat in Oakland, right, what do you have to do? Hire four people? I, mean, it's, I mean, people. I mean, people don't get the math. I mean, the math is pretty simple, but it's right in front of your face, right? Yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm 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 with you. It. This is this is the this is the issue of this is the issue we a couple of my friends who are analysts talked about. When, when we were saying, you know, we need to step up and be prepared to go toe-to-toe with, with Russia and Ukraine, and, and, and they just said, look, the numbers, given our force posture in Europe right now, and the force posture of the rest of Europe, the numbers don't work. We can't put enough airplanes over the battlefield.
2: Are we ever going to get a, a full accounting of how much we pissed away in Iraq and, and Afghanistan? For God's sake, it has to be how many trillion dollars?
3: Oh, I'm I'm guessing it's probably north of ten or fifteen trillion dollars by now. No, I don't know if we'll ever see an accurate accounting because it would be it would be too painful for the American people. That's scary. Uh, I'm, I'm concerned about how much money we're throwing at Ukraine. I don't want to throw money at Ukraine. It's a, it's a black hole. Uh-huh. I wanna throw at Ukraine our weapons and, and you know, here, here's a here's a, a cannon round, here's a javelin yeah. missile. Here's a, here's a High Mars rocket, you know, because because that can't be put in somebody's bank account.
2: Well, plus it it, uh, it, it makes the, the Russians use up three of theirs. Oh, absolutely. All right, but we've got to dash, no, no. but we'll talk at you next week. Have a nice weekend. SP Future's up two now only. Uh, NASDAQ is up 11. We're still up. Be right back, Mr. Dan Janitas.
0: Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, owner of
4: Home Source Realty and frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks radio show. If you're thinking about purchasing real estate this summer, could be a good time to shop around. Whether you're a novice or seasoned investor, low interest rates and a good inventory make adding bricks and mortar investment to your portfolio an interesting possibility. Many a great fortune has begun with the purchase of property. Call me today for your personal investment consultation, and I would be happy to get you started on your path to prosperity. You could reach me at Audrey Johnson at Realtor.com or call me at 708-349-3456. That's
5: 708-349-3456. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market, along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net.
1: Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks,
2: jocks, and stocks and jocks You are out of control right
1: here, right now, right here, right now. right
3: now There's something happening here
2: Hello, North Bank, Stacks and Jacks I'm Tom Allen, Mr. Matt Weber on the board SB Futures up three to They're up oh, 10 when we came in as that feature up 15, so we're still positive, but we're not uh, moving as uh, fast as we were. Mr. Dan, how are you? Mr. Dan Janitas from Kratos Capital, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, I'd be doing a lot better if you would have told me on the 14th of June when the 10-year rates were 3.5 that a Federal Reserve that said is going to uh, uh, be fighting inflation and raising <laughs> interest rates but that number is down to 2.7 and it's totally rechanged the valuation of the market and everything else if you'd have told me that i'd be a lot happier guy
6: and if i tell you that now i'm 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 thinking we may see uh... we see that trend uh... moving back up there uh... you know at least inching a little bit closer to that three and a half uh... level at some point here in the near future depending on uh... what statistic is coming out on what day so, um, yeah, agreed. It's, it's a, um, the, the main thing that's driven this, um, and it's kind of, you have to step back and look at the big picture, which is the overall credit cycle. And the overall credit cycle uh, trades, you know, it's tightening of credit and then it's easing of credit. And we've just been through this period of easing and we're just now starting this period of tightening. When that happens, um, interest rates generally go up because the Fed is raising rates. There's an anticipation of having higher rates across the board, with the exception of times like this when there's a belief that our well, we are slowing. I mean, we have we have uh, evidence evidence already of a recession, and and we're in a contractionary period. So what happens is it it brings about a lot of um, buyers. To um, what is the epitome of the uh, the free or the um, the lowest risk investment, which is the ten year treasury? So um, we have U.S. investors investing in that in the ten year treasury. We have foreign investors. You look at other countries. You look at Europe. You look at Asia. Um, our credit cycle, our credit credit conditions are stronger here. So it's not unusual that the 10 is getting a lot of activity right now the interesting thing though that's happening is with the 10-year coming down we're also seeing mortgage rates come down so there had been this slowdown in mortgage applications but now that they're coming down they were close to six now they're closer to five um, people are saying hey maybe we'll wait a little longer and you know we might be able to afford that mortgage and by the way you know we might get a little bit you know a little bit of knocked off the price of the house so it's it. What happens in this environment is I think it's very confusing, because the lower rates are also telling you, well maybe the tech names now can afford. You know the, the cost of capital is going to be a lot more reasonable, and then people go out and see. You know I saw three sixty nine at the gas station the other day for regular gas here, and you know hey that sounds a lot more affordable than five dollars. So it seems to the consumer and to the investor that we're in a period that's going to work itself out it's just you know it's it's starting to happen but that you I think you're going to be spoofed by this because what happens in the end is there's still a lot of companies that are reporting um, tough earnings having tough earnings cycles Intel is a big one that uh, came out you know we saw Walmart last week there's There's still a lot of concern. There's still absolutely supply chain issues and there's still absolutely problems with this mismatch in labor. So there are still companies having trouble finding people and there there are other companies that are tightening about letting people go. So until this all gets worked out and until this, it's really until the price gets to a level that it moderates. It's a, it's a price that the consumer feels is comfortable for that level of good or service, um, then we'll be there, but we aren't there yet. And so I would say that, yeah, you can make some short-term money playing the volatility over time in the bond market because we're not used to this kind of volatility. We haven't seen this type of volatility um, in a long time. And it's more exaggerated in this environment than it has been in past environments because on a percentage basis, that was a pretty large drop from three and a half down to almost two and a half. So there's a an exaggeration, if you will, of this volatility due to the fact that there's you know, investors are seeing the attraction as the rate comes down, either because now you can as I said you can the mortgage looks more interesting and maybe, you know, um the the tech companies, you know, the cost of capital isn't going to be so extreme for them. So so that I think also helps explain some of the rally in the tech sector. and um, But it is all connected, and I think that's the thing that, that we sometimes miss, that we sometimes forget that behind all this is this long-term, secular credit cycle. And there's talk recently, um, in fact, in this past week, that there's going to be this pivot, which means suddenly the fed is going to go from this tightening or increasing rates to cutting rates and that's a lot of talk in a period of a week and i can see how a lot of investors and listeners would get confused Is wait a minute you know how, how can they quickly shift, um... from one um, approach that is supposed to be getting rid of inflation so quickly, how can they be talking about this? And then I go in the grocery store and see the highest price for eggs that I've ever seen. You know, so I think there's a there's a lot of talk, and I, I think the that stepping back from all of it and realizing that that it's a long-term uh, cycle that we're in. It's a, it's a mature phase. It's a turning over. It's a it's a a, a tightening phase, and this isn't going to happen overnight, and we're not going to click a button and suddenly start cutting rates. Um, Uh, Some people think that. I really doubt that's going to happen because there are too many forces out there that have still shown inflation. The supply-demand picture is still not in sync. Um, And even though demand has come down for certain products and services, the supply just has not come up enough to make it worthwhile for consumers um, and businesses to... Uh, continue to step out at the higher prices
2: and we're pushing tens of millions of people now that have gone to college in the last fifteen twenty years they're absolutely convinced that one percent rates getting nothing from the bank on your savings and paying twenty four percent credit cards and having some people borrowing at two percent while the rest of us can 't borrow squat is normal and to me and you it's just not normal, but it's getting to be pretty damn normal yeah. Uh, but I mean, just you, you mentioned. But if you if you look at what's been happening for really a long time in the markets, you know, since 2007, you and I would say, you know, we love the market; it's our life. Uh, but we would say that based on the interest rates being so low, that you're pr- that the stock prices are probably higher than they normally would be. That, I'm not saying that they should be because what the market's the market, and we we saw somewhat of a a move sort of toward normalcy when we got to 3, 3.5 on this 10 year which is still not normal when inflation is 10 but still it's, it's better than the 1.5 it was and we started to see a, an approach towards that and, and the response to the market was to revalue to the downside to say okay now they're, we're going we're gonna to discount our stuff at 3.5 instead of 1.5 and now in, 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 in 6 weeks time or 4 weeks time that has totally reversed I I am absolutely stunned. Not, i don't think anywhere in history I, I've even read about something like this. Now somehow somehow the central banks are behind it in my mind because nobody. This it's not like I mean, I mean you eloquently said uh, well maybe some other banks or you know stuff around the world people are buying a ten year. Dan there isn't a, a guy with a brain cell that's gonna that is gonna buy a two and a half percent ten year bond when inflation rates ten. It has to be a government. Nobody's that stupid other than government. I'm just saying. Unless you're an insurance company and you, you got to buy, you know, uh, treasuries or something. You know, I'm not accusing them of being stupid. It's in their charter. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, you and I... Impl- but, that, yeah, it, it just,
6: governments and, and insurance companies do have to. And there's, you know, asset liability, management. Um, there's, um, there's a certain amount of that. I do agree with you. It's, it, it's not a good buy-in here. I didn't think it was a good buy at three and a half. I like the shorter end of the curve still, and I have some company there um, because what I've noticed on the shorter end, especially in the corporate side, which is where we are, the higher-quality corporate side, the higher-quality, higher-yielding names is what I'll refer to them as. Um, they've been um, eaten up pretty quickly. They've been picked over. Picked over, I think is a better word, pretty quickly so that there's less and less and fewer and fewer of these names because that's the that's the trade that makes the most sense right now. You're getting extra yield um, for less than a year. I mean, if, if you look at just the one-year T-bill rate, the one-year T-bill rate is at um, 314. So that's, I mean, that's a pretty good rate for a one-year T-bill. So I wouldn't necessarily be buying the 10-year treasury, but if I want a flight to quality, three 314 for a one-year um, piece of, you know, virtually no risk paper is it's pretty attractive and the fact that we are seeing this widening of the the yield uh, curve inversion, in other words the difference between the 314 on the on the one year and then you look at the 10 year at 273 that's 41 basis points and that, const, you know, when you start getting up to 50 basis points that's that spread gets up to 50 basis points, that's when in the past, we've seen significant slowdowns after that level of inversion. So so the short end is where, I um, the short end is, is impacted because of the increasing short rates, but the short end is also where the smarter investors are gonna go because you get the most bang for your buck. You have the least amount of interest rate risk. You have the least amount of credit risk. Um, you can manage your credit risk a lot easier and you can still get a decent yield nowhere near where the inflation rate is today but at some point the you know i think the plan is that these two um start coming closer together you know we start seeing inflation rate come down as the fed continues to raise rates and then there's going to be i don't know if i want to call it a soft landing or a magic number or a certain place that it's just we come back into um more of an equilibrium we are so far out of that equilibrium still. Um, they, you know, we see days um, where that equilibrium starts looking attractive or it starts saying, hey, yeah, things are moving in that direction, and then it gets, and then it gets thrown out of whack again. It's, we're gonna see volatility, and if you are a short-term trader, you can play that volatility all the more power to you. It's hard for, for, for us to do that um, because it's not because we're long-term investors. It doesn't mean that we won't move in and out of names, but it does mean that we want to stay more focused on a certain part of the market, which again is short, short um, corporates, and we want to take advantage of higher rates on the
2: short end. Dan, I have a, I have several clients that uh, you know are looking for some fixed income, um, and we, I mean, obviously <laughs> these guys listen to you every week, uh, and, and rightfully so, and we. Managed to get some of the stuff that you've been talking about. Uh, I will say which ones because I'm not going to recommend them, but... Well, I will. We, we, we did some of the PC uh, Pacific Gas. We did some of the couple other ones you, you, you mentioned. And uh, everybody's pretty happy with it, to be perfectly honest. And now the, the question has been, is there a chance where we can sort of, for the longer term, can we ladder this stuff up? And really, four or five weeks ago, it looked like we might be able to take... I was going to ask you, but... Might be able to take baby steps in that direction. I'm going to say we got to pull back on that now. I, I don't, I don't think you want a ladder here, do you? No.
6: No, and and that's exactly what the question that you started out is. You know, in terms of, Damn. uh because what happened is that as that deal comes in, the attractiveness of those longer dated bonds goes down. Um, you you, you got you get the benefit. It's sort of like buying a stock, and, and I do this, buying a stock, it's up 10, 10 bucks in one day because it had really good earnings, and then tailing off half of it or selling half of the position because you know that you've got the most bang for your buck. Same thing on in a situation like this. When the yield drops that much and, and the price of that bond has gone up that quickly, you know you've gotten a lot. You, you know you've gotten a big part of that. Um, uh, you've already captured a fair amount of that capital gain, so you might as well flip off some of it or, or trade some of it. So it's hard to just stay in a ladder where you're going to keep a constant amount at a, at a constant maturity because these maturities, the yields in these maturities are moving very quickly, and they will continue to move quickly as long as the Fed is acting. And right now what we're going to see between now and the September meeting, which is still almost two months away, there's a lot of this uncertainty and a lot of this volatility and a certain number comes out and the market responds to it and then we see rates go higher and then if another number comes out and all of a sudden there's more um, you know the, the market has is, is changed their tune and decides you know this is a good time to be buying treasury so um, in general though I will, I will say I still believe in the flight to quality that's the reason that people are buying in here. And I also believe the fact that we have yield, um, Interactive Brokers is paying 1.83% on its idle cash. Sounds like nothing, but we really were getting nothing. Not that long yeah, we're,
2: ago, we're, so. we're getting really nothing. <laughs> we're, yeah, exactly we We're nothing. really getting
6: nothing. So, as to, you know, there, you know, this is, you know, part of our daily week. This is sort of where we shine. And we do think that the trend for higher short rates continue. And we're going to see this bouncing back and forth between investors who are saying, hey, you know, we're out of the woods, or hey, we get, you know, inflation's under control. We're going to go back and forth between that and people, you know, still saying, you know, but I couldn't get my transmission for my new car, or, or, or I couldn't get my, you know, there's still a lot of, uh, you know, people are...
2: Dan, you got to move to a different spot in the room. We're kind of losing you, bud. Oh, okay. But I'm going to try, I'm gonna try yeah. and interpret what you... Uh, just said for the for the average person here, because you 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 yeah, talk. Yeah, just. To, right, but there's, there's I think what you're saying is, if we would have went out and bought the letter, say you know the two of us would have been um, uh, clairvoyant, and, and four weeks ago we went out and bought a a ten year bond, and we paid you know ninety eight for it. The thing's probably trading one o seven. We're better off selling it at one o seven and going back at the one year T bill is what you're saying.
6: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, it's a. Yeah, because
6: they yourself on interest rate risk. And the reason I'm saying that now, today, in this environment, is I expect that we're going to see a lot of volatility in the next few months. We don't have another Fed meeting till the end of September. And between now and then, there'll be a day when a number comes out that's going to make it look like inflation's coming under control. And then there's going to be another day when, when a number comes out that's going to make it look like, you know, we still have a ways to go in this tightening cycle. So that, that's going to be. It's, we're going to bounce back and forth. And what's interesting, I think, and you you will probably agree with me, that I've not ever seen this amount of volatility with short term rates. And they, it seems, as I said earlier, it seems more exaggerated because the rates are so low. But to get you know fifty and hundred basis point swings day to day in the short end of the of the Treasury curve is. is pretty extraordinary um, because their yields are low as low as they are, those are pretty high percentage swings. So um, be careful in and paying attention. You know, if you can see that, you know, it's creeping up if the ten years creeping up to three and a half and you want to step in, but um, long term I would not be I would not be buyers of uh ten year treasuries as, as a long term investment
2: right well, now. Well Dan if the inflation rate and I'm not gonna make a prediction, I'm saying if Inflation stays ten percent for ten percent a year for ten years. Let's just, God no, let's hope not. That that ten year, if you put a million dollars in there, when you when you get it back, it's worth what three fifty? Right, exactly. I mean, you, so you just have to be. I, I think, Jim, that some of the and I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm accusing constantly, um, and I think you sort of agree with me. but don't necessarily want to outpeep it. I, I've never the, the whole mess here is that the market is not the market. The market has been driven by the Fed for so long that there isn't even a market. There's $9 trillion in it. I and mean, when you get somebody like Leesman or people on TV going, gee, look at the, this is what the uh, the fact that we have a, a, a negatively sloping curve is telling us this. I don't think it's telling us anything, Dan, other than the, the Fed's buying the other guys today instead of these. I mean, they're controlling the whole thing. I, I mean, I, somehow we've we got to get away from that. I don't know how we ever do it. They're getting so used to being the place
6: yeah we we do have to get away from it because it's it's and i even think powell said at some point that we're here to control inflation we're not here to necessarily control the markets or the economy you know and and that that doesn't really give me a whole lot of faith in you know just having the you know having the direction of you know or the you know the 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 action plan of just controlling inflation because there's as I was saying earlier, there there's sort of mixed some mixed messages with inflation, especially if you're the consumer, and especially if you're going out one day and seeing, oh, I had somebody tell me the other day, oh, I guess the issue with gas prices is is over, you know because they were down to three sixty nine at at the local station here and and I shook my head and I said, just if temporarily they are I said, so you know buy buy a bunch right now because we don't know where they'll be next week. I think the point is that the way it's being explained is not coming across, you know, whether it be through the administration, who still doesn't think we're in a recession, or through the Fed, who seems to, you know, everyone seems to be waiting, um, you know, very, very carefully to listen to their next move, and we should should not be in a place, I agree with you, where they have that much control over the system.
2: and the way it's, it's being explained is very similar to the, minister, the Ministry of Truth in 1984, Yes. Uh, hey. Uh, well, we have you. We can, we decided we're not going to go out ten years. We found some good stuff in the in the ten eleven month range. Yes. What, what do you got? in Maybe the two year range. We could sneak out a little bit.
4: Yeah.
6: The one not The other name that I was buying yesterday that I, I still like in here is AmTrust. M T R U S T. And they're they're a private company, but they have um, AmTrust six hundred.
2: AmTrust is the name of the place right now.
6: AmTrust is, yeah. is a um, property casualty insurance company. They have a bond that matures in August of 23, so it's a year, actually. Um, and we've been buying it at six and a quarter, and you buying it just inside of PAR, so just a little bit less than PAR. And that's a, you know, it's a property casualty company. It's in the financial industry. They're a solid company. You know, it's. Hard to find the bonds, but they're out there. Um, it gives you a little bit of diversification. Another name that just totally, you know, getting away from bonds for a minute, but another name that we've been talking about, and we've talked about this quite a bit over the years, and it's sort of gotten lost over the last week, but it's had a nice rally recently is, is silver. Um, you know, we've kept our positions in silver and gold, and we've seen a, r- a really nice um, uptick, consistent uptick in, in silver. And silver acts as a good hedge um, in a number of different environments, and it, it kind of off balance some of um, what we may have lost. You know, where we may have lost a little bit on on one side um, of the portfolio, silver acted as a as a nice hedge. So, I would say to continue to to stick with the silver and gold as as um, you know other ways of hedging um are offsetting your portfolio rather than strictly using bonds to offset, you know, um, equities. Look I've for, had for some of these for... other names. And, of course, we've mentioned that the preferreds that still look attractive. And here, they, as long as you're buying them below their um, par value, uh, they're paying nice dividends like sea, uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul, like uh, Blue Knight, and blue knight in particular has continued to perform as a company extremely well and the stock that we were buying around five is now close to nine and still paying a nice fat um, preferred dividend so what's the, what's the symbol uh... b-k-e-p-p
2: you, you still like the uh... b-k-e-p-p
6: Yes.
2: you saw
6: up the asphalt storage business
2: you still like the self-storage place
6: yes and self is still very good yeah self has self because it's a micro cap company will have swings but it's um you know swinging you know into the sixes is really where we think it's going it's been um it's traded lower you know i i'm a buyer of it less than five and a half and i i think as it it, and then we kind of watch it um move pretty quickly into the sixes it still pays a dividend the really great thing about this company is it's w- well managed. Um, it does not have a lot of the supply chain issues or inflation issues, or frankly staffing issues that a lot of other companies have. They a lot of the people who've been working in these individual facilities are still there. Um, they do it. They operate very efficiently, and there's still a really high demand they, for they, their they, product. They've and, got a supply chain um,
2: issue. They really got people who have too much supply. That's what they're st- storing it there.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and still a lot of movement going on. You know, we see here we see a tremendous amount of building and construction and movement um, of people, and it's. Uh, I have to kind of remind myself that we're in a little bit of a microcosm here, but there's a tremendous amount of construction going on, What's uh, a- so that it's hard for us to think that we're in a you know, a slowdown.
2: Dan, we went There's out last week. M-
6: at least in the construction field, there seems to be a lot of activity.
2: Dan, we went out last week to buy one of the bonds you mentioned and everywhere we tried to buy it, they, they had a big restricted tag on it. What does that mean?
6: There is, uh, ADT, some company, you know, depending on who, how you're buying it and who you're buying it through, it, uh, that can make a difference. We do have, uh, the ability to buy where some retail investors and some other investors don't because, Partly because my my background in, in fixed income, but also where you know when we have when you have to ask for permissions, say if you're using interact brokers, you have to ask for for privates. So it's not you know if you buy in um, bonds, it's not just public bonds, but it's private bonds as well. Okay. Some of the some of them are um, issued as um, they're called one forty four A's. So they, they were issued as private placements whether or not it's a private company they still they still can issue private debt um, so some of them are less liquid um, and that that can be the reason and then there's different trading systems within the trading work uh, you know the uh, the trading workstation at interactive brokers there's a series of about seven or eight different trading traders that um, will make markets and you know uh, positions in these bonds, um, and you have to be able to watch those positions, and then when they become available, take them and put your order in to buy them. But yes, yeah, some some um, we can help if anyone need, you know wants help. We, we're more than happy to help set up a fixed income account because um, we do have that, that accessibility. So we're happy to um, take on accounts and customize them um, based on uh, the client's needs and. Um, like I said, we do have access to more than a retail investor would, and the fees are lower.
2: Well, we do uh, some stuff through IB. We also do some stuff through our RBC, depending on where the client happens to be. And uh, RBC, if they have somewhere they've already taken from people, they have them in inventory, which I don't know if IB does, and they'll offer those to you every morning, and you can buy whatever you want at that price, any amount. They don't care. You can buy 20000 but then, uh, if you want to go out for bid, I think you need like fifty or hundred to do out for the bid. Is that? Will you yeah. bump when you when you bump into that? If you want to get between the market, you got to be a pretty good size.
6: Yeah, exactly. And that's what and that's what we would do is we would we would um, do like a block trade where okay. we would put um, a number of clients together who uh, you know who have cash available for right. for you know short term high yield bonds. And we put them together, and then we also be able to look and see what the actual side of the of the bid is. So we try to match that, and then we're able to negotiate on price.
2: All right. Well, thanks, buddy. Hey, good stuff. Uh, talk to you next week, buddy. Have a good one. SP Futures not only up two and a quarter, if Futures up thirteen. Still up though, mostly all green on the on the board here. Be right back, Mr. John Flanagan. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTIsecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, and jocks. stocks and jocks. You are out
1: of control right here. Right now, right here. Right now, right now. Right now. Right now.
2: Lone Rockbacks, Saxon Jacks. I'm Tom Allen, Mr. Matt Weber on the board, and remember, Mr. Weber, it's easier to pick off a fast runner than to pick off a lazy runner. <laughs> not so sure. <true. laughs> a lazy runner. I like that. That's true, though. We had a few of those. A
5: lazy runner's not going to take a big lead off first. Oh, we had we had a few of those yeah. guys,
2: the lazy runners. Uh, like, well, we had I'm, stupid runners. We had, we yeah, had. we had some. We had
5: some. We <laughs> were like you know. Sometimes I was one of them.
2: Have you ever seen the? Uh, a team like the White Sox that has probably lost five or six games this year due to base running errors. I don't think I've ever seen They do any...
5: something like once every other week that just blows your mind on the bases where you go, I've never even seen that before. What the hell is that guy thinking?
2: Did you see the guy get picked off third last week on ball four? Yeah, on a walk. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new low. Now futures up 11. Over in Europe, we've got the... Uh, um...
5: Not to mention the first ever in MLB history 8-5 triple play. Yeah,
2: it's... <laughs> Uh, DAX up 135 of exactly 1%. Puts you up 38.5%. kick around up 52.8%. This is, this is after the uh, Bank of England raised the rates 0.5%. Of course, I guess they renewed that. But Then they said, get ready for an extended recession. So that's not exactly good news, but the market doesn't seem to care. Uh, Nikkei up 190 0.7%, Shanghai up 25.8%, uh, Hang Seng up 406, 206, and these guys are, are are coming back here from a, a horrible drubbing on Tuesday where the Hang Seng was under still 20,174, the whole number is real low for that. Uh, yesterday, big rally, Dow up 416, S&P up 63, they dropped, that, that's dropping ten points in like the last minute and a half. Uh, Nasdaq up 319, so that was over 2.5%. Uh, bonds, minus 8 basis points, 2.67, and the 10-year rate continues to go down. Uh, Bunn, minus 6 basis points, 0.80. Remember, these guys were pushing 1.8, 1.7, and now they've they've dropped it in half, really. Uh, Japan, uh, 0.16. Who knows? Maybe they're going back to 0. We've got oil up 19 cents, but still 90.85. Way below that 100, way below the 120 where it topped out at. Uh, Brandt down 22 cents, 96.56. Natural gas up 6 cents, 8.32. Arbob uh, down 2 cents to 288. We've got gold with another big rail here, way over 1800 1801. It's up 25.50, silver up 38 cents, uh, to 2028. Dan was talking about silver. I've had silver in people's portfolio for a long time, and this thing's gone from 19.5 to 21 violently about a hundred times, and never seems to want to break out. But yeah, if you'd have bought it at 19 bucks the other day, you're happy. Uh, copper down a penny, 345. Uh, We've got crypto. Uh, Bitcoin's now down six hundred twenty-two eight seventy-nine. It's still way above the twenty thousand allegedly danger number. And we've got the uh, euro dollar. uh, We've we've got the euro dollar up twenty basis points to one point zero one eight. So still barely above a buck. Uh, Matty, what do you got for us, Traffic Brothers Sports?
5: Thirty-seven minutes past the hour. Good morning, once again to everyone out there. A couple of crashes to report here. Uh, In the uh, 7 o'clock hour, uh, Lakeshore Drive northbound at 47th Street, there's a crash uh, that has uh, traffic backed up to Chicago Beach Drive. uh, So expect congestion if you're heading northbound from the south side on Lakeshore Drive until that crash gets cleared at 47th. Edens and Kennedy, traffic starting to build, uh, but no accidents to report. Same with the Eisenhower, Uh, we do have a crash on the tri-state I-294 just before the Eisenhower. Uh, It's actually a disabled vehicle that's currently blocking the two right lanes. So that has uh, the tri-state backed up. Expect significant delays till they get that car off of there. Uh, Stevenson, traffic building, but no accidents. Dan Ryan, I-57, and the Bishop Ford are off to a good start. Off the expressways, out in the western suburbs, Irving Park at uh, North Wooddale Road, there is a crash. And it looks like uh, just west of there, Bloomingdale Road at at, uh, US-20, there's an accident. Carroll Stream, there's a crash at Gary Avenue at North Avenue, and just south of that, uh, in Wheaton, there's resurfacing work that has uh, Wakeman Avenue between Main Street and President Street closed as they resurface that. So, a few issues this morning to uh, navigate. Weather today, a perfect August day. Partly cloudy skies, a high of 79. Right now, it's partly sunny and 76 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, rain this morning and then a high of 99 today with uh, sunshine. In sports, White Sox have now won 7 out of 10 as they took 2 of 3 from Kansas City, beating the Royals yesterday 4-1. Sox are just two games back of Minnesota. Cubs and Cardinals were rained out down in St. Louis. They'll play a doubleheader today. First games at 1:15 Chicago time. Diamondbacks lost to the Guardians 7-4. And as we talked about last hour, uh, voice of the Dodgers, Vin Scully, passed away at the age of 94. He was the voice of the Dodgers for 67 seasons, dating back to their time in Brooklyn, New York.
2: Chief, We're well, talking about a guy who really wanted that job, huh? I mean, yeah, uh, how could you not? What, dream well, I mean, I mean, he just he sent out 150 letters when he was in college. He just wanted to... Yeah, he wanted to do play-by-play. And uh, and he did football, he did basketball. John, how are you?
4: Good, Tom. I'm thinking about sending out 150 letters and what that felt like.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and he, he got That's one... I had a lonely time in my life when I was doing okay. that. You got one response. <laughs> you got one response. Yeah. That, that's scary. What, what, what if you lost that letter? <laughs> <laughs> Forgot to put the right
4: postage on it.
2: Right. You know who else was a, a, a Fordham graduate, Maddie and John, Maybe you might a famous uh, sports figure. Well,
4: there's a fair number
2: of them. Old old time coach. I would have no idea. Vince Lombardi was one of the Fordham, oh. He was one of the seven blocks of granite, Fordham.
5: Really, I did not know that.
2: They were one of the original. Uh, they were they were like the four horsemen. They were like the seven blocks of granite, the best line in the country. And uh,
5: Trump went there, I believe.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm not so right. sure the other two would either want, want you mentioning that. <laughs> he went. Uh, and then he went to when he went to Penn Business School, right, or something.
5: Yeah,
4: I think to Wharton.
5: Yeah, Wharton. Uh, but yeah, he uh, he got. Um, I assume he graduated. He uh, got uh, his undergrad at uh, Fordham.
2: Fordham's in the uh, it's in the Bronx, right? The Columbia's in, in Manhattan. Is that right, Jan?
5: Yeah,
4: Jesuit.
2: Fordham. That's where Digger uh, Phelps came from. He did, yeah. And uh, yeah, Fordham's in the Bronx. You're right. Um, I don't. Wh- where is it? Near Yankee Stadium, or I don't know. I don't uh, know the Bronx that of, well. I mean, I've, I've been past the campus. I can't quite situate it
5: with, with Yankee
2: Stadium. I never never hung out in the Bronx much. Fordham was them.
5: established in 1841. Wow. Um, it has Notre Dame. So yeah, huh? yeah. A billion dollar endowment, and it has a. Uh, just under 10,000 undergrads and 7,000 postgrads.
2: Well, you know what they say about the location of Notre Dame, Manny. Father, so- <laughs> Father Soren showed up and he said, we'll stay here until the weather gets better. <laughs> <laughs> Not so far that, that, off. That
5: worked re-
4: really well on those snowy days,
2: though. <laughs> oh, God, it was. In wintertime, we went senior year, didn't we go, what, 28 days without the sun or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> it's brutal, man. It's just the the whole crummy weather for the the lake just ends up in South bed. It seems like it, it uh, but then when it's then the spring is nice. But then we weren't there in the spring. We were home, so I don't know. I guess it was nice when we weren't there. But uh, I don't think I've
4: ever experienced darker nights than walking to an eight o'clock class at Notre Dame in the winter.
2: Oh God, yeah. It was just <laughs> anyhow. Yeah, would you bring Mike Murphy with you at eight o'clock in the morning? Not too often. Huh? <laughs> He's just coming home, right? I had an 8 o'clock ice skating thing as a freshman over in the Convocation Center in a January. I did, too. Oh, God. First of all, I, couldn't, I, I was horrible at ice skating. It was <laughs> the absolute furthest spot on campus, man. He was a dead of winner. It, it was awful. Nobody's was in no the class but me, so I had to walk all over by myself. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, those, those were the days, eh, John? Uh, they, they toughened us up, Tom. Yeah, they, they did something. Huh? So what are you, the um, stuff we've been, Interesting stuff we've been talking about this week with the re- redefining of uh, terms. and I, I was loving yesterday talking about, uh, with Kevin, with the I don't know if you, if you had a chance to listen in, maybe the, the part about the, the heat that Wikipedia has been taking about the definition of recession. Everybody's trying to edit it, and they cut off the edits, and allegedly the White House was all pissed off at them for a while. I mean, I, who, who the hell in the White House has the time to screw around Wikipedia is that like is it like a Ministry of Truth or what is it?
4: Well, I, I think there's a lot more people than you and I would believe possible getting paychecks to do just that kind of stuff in every government agency, uh, in their communications and you know and outreach people. I think this is all they think about, it's all they worry about, and, and that's all they get paid to do. So, is that there's a huge machinery, that, and it now it, we're in a climate time where, where language has been so Indicted for being responsible for pretty much whatever is wrong, that we have to fix that as part of fixing everything else, and we almost have to start with language, and it's it's ending up with with idiotic results, of course. But it isn't likely to stop anytime soon. And um, people have started to to understand and to suspect, you know, the power of language, and we got to attack that before it does. It does damage to whatever cause we're, we're trying to push. I mean, these, these are awful times. If you're an English major, let me tell you.
2: <laughs> well, I was, I was happy to have both you on today and Maddie, because I want to lob one out there. I mean, uh, I read more about history, actually I don't read as much as I should, because I, I really want to, uh, one of these days, Jan, if I ever get some, a few days with nothing to do, I want to dive head, headlong into the history of the Revolutionary War. Not, not necessarily because I know who won, right? So it's not like, it's not like it's that. But the I, I never really got into recently until recently the total machinations of Washington and what he had to do just as a general, just in raising the money, hiring the mercenaries. I mean the the the, the, the hats the guy wore is something like. I mean I hope I can report on him when I read it all. But it, I'm getting the feeling that he was a, talk about a singular human being. I mean he could pull that off. Uh, with all the different things you had to go about doing, but the, the thing that I'm trying to get my hands around is I haven't read about it any other place, Any other, I'm not world expert on war at all, I wish I was, but I don't think the policy, when we start messing with this China situation, Pelosi going to Taiwan, should or shouldn't, whatever, all this kind of stuff, I don't know, and it's we have a, a Democratic administration in that I think is reasonably incompetent, um, but I thought the one before was totally incompetent, uh, so, I mean, it's, I haven't seen a really good one in a long time, to be honest with you. Um, and it, it bothers me, but how it seems like all the policies are really being pushed by some serious business interests. Now, whether, if you're on the right, you think it's all Soros. If you're on the left, you think it's, you know, God knows who. But the fact is, everybody seems to have a feel that the people we're seeing that are allegedly in control are at least being influenced. I won't say they're not in control, but are at least being influenced. I don't see how the hell... With all the business interests, the millions the billions and billions of dollars that are invested in China by American people, by the factories over there, by the amount of Chinese debt that is owed that w- that are owed our people, and how much debt we have with those guys which just just ducked under a trillion, how the hell could you ever have a what kind of a war who would influence the war i mean we're and we're talking about a, a, you know some potential chance there of a shooting war like not not too soon or pretty soon. I, I, I don't see how, has there ever been a war with all those kinds of strings attached, both, both, both sides? How could that even happen? I,
4: I can't think of one, I can't think of, of a period like that. And of course, you know, maybe this is sort of a good insurance policy against a kind of scorched earth war between countries of this size and importance, because both of them need each other so badly to survive on their own. They can't imagine a world in which the opponent isn't there anymore or is severely weakened or compromised or you know, d- d- destroyed environmentally or whatever else. I just don't think that that will pay people who are in, in a position to say whether we could fight the war this way or not. So maybe this is, I don't know if it's an, so much a nuclear deterrent as just a general deterrent. You know, there, there's lots of gamesmanship, though, as, as we've seen this past year. Two weeks or
2: so. Well, can you can you imagine if we if we had some sort of a if those guys open fire in Taiwan, and we try to somehow mitigate it, and we, and we cut off all what what's Apple going to do? they they're, they're, they're going to that guy will have a hissy fit. Tim Cook. I mean, what what are they going to do? We can't get any product out of there. Well, what, what's Coca-Cola going to do?
4: What will consumers yeah, do
2: here? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you you can live without your iPhone for your old iPhone for a year. But I'm saying what a what I, I can't even imagine. The the commercial carnage, and the, the amount of of bitching and moaning from companies that are loving it over there, using slave labor. I mean, I, how do you even how would the how would the president even make it to his office without those idiots sitting in the hallway waiting for him?
4: It looks to me like at some point you reach the, you know, the kind of standoff where all of this stuff gets referred to powers that are not in the military wing of government. They're not in the diplomatic wing of government. They're, they're maybe not even in the business wing of any particular government, but it's some other government that is the ultimate you know, court of justice for this stuff, and stuff gets referred to them always behind the scenes. And somebody says, we're not going to pull that string yet. We're going to pull this one over here first and see how that plays out. And don't worry. Just sit back and wait. You'll see how this plays out. We'll keep you posted. <laughs> I, I, just, I just think there isn't any real kind of power anymore. Except to make terrible mistakes And pay the, pay the price for them but, but it's like somebody else is refereeing All this stuff and, and everybody seems perfectly Happy taking orders from whatever That body is
2: It does seem, I mean, you, you look at the thing that got uh, Well, Milton Friedman Left for the University of Chicago to Stanford, <laughs> okay, but he didn't Just leave, he pretty much got, to- when well, I want not say Tossed, the university didn't, but He got no end of grief For doing some consulting with The Allende Group in Chile which which was a horrendous government, they abused the hell out of everybody but his feeling was that if you were to push economic freedom and places the economic freedom picked up, political freedom would follow, now where where he got those views or he must have had some place that that happened in a bunch of countries or something maybe it happened here, maybe it it happened in the west maybe that's what happened in, in Britain and whatever, I mean the political freedom followed economic freedom, I don't know, but the fact is, it really hasn't followed in a lot of places, China being one of them. And, you know, just what I just said, if Lou was still on the line, he would say, Chief, there you go again, trying to import your own logic, and you're doing the same thing, John, and so is Matt, into the Chinese, when it's obvious they don't think the same way. I mean, I'm not saying they're bad or worse or anything like that, but. It's. I mean, the guys made some decisions in the last two or three years that clearly were not in the best economic interests of that country. I mean, I don't think either one of you agree with me and disagree. I mean, you know, a lot of the shutdowns, a lot of this, they they don't they clearly don't care. In some of these companies, they've damn near put out of business. They're high tech firms. They 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 don't seem driven as much by the almighty buck as we are. It's all power, or more of it's by. And the
4: solution to, you know, the disruptions in real estate and, you know, it's it's just turned into a call for more more control. So, you know, they have never backed off of of lockdowns. In fact, if anything, they're trying them out. It seems now for reasons that have nothing to do with fighting a disease of any kind. It's all about making people prepared for when you you have zero freedom, as you may have grown used to it, um, and we can destroy your ability to move around or function economically. Um, if we don't like what you're doing, so get used to it. And if you don't believe us, here's here's an example of how it's going to work. And you can see this all the way through China in the last year, really. Um, but, you know, the, the thing with, with the Pelosi trip, and, you know, now it, she's in, you know, or, you know, was in South Korea or coming back from South Korea, it, to me it's also stage managed by the Chinese and us and the Pelosi family interests and whatever else to get whatever result they think is useful for as many people as they can cover at once. Because Pelosi has has made, the family has just made gazillions of dollars off, of Chinese investments. There, and Peter Schweitzer makes the case in that book Red Handed that came out almost two years ago, that you know Pelosi has always been given a long enough leash to say disparaging things about the Chinese in order to give the illusion that she's not in cahoots with them or completely controlled by them. And I think this trip is just an example of that. It has nothing to do with you know, poking the bear or anything else, I think it's all about showing that she's really, you know, a free thinker. This is to burnish her image. It's to take her husband's DUI off the front page. Everything, you know, it has nothing to do really with the things that it's being talked about in the context. And I, I worry that that's the kind of, you know, she may be a useful idiot to some other interest. I suspect she's at least useful, but she's she's certainly
2: an idiot. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't. They have. When, when you say, uh, in, in terms of what you and I may think, you may look at these people and say they they sound or look like an idiot. I mean, you could certainly make that case for for Trump, but you can't ever say the man does not have a dramatic skill set. I mean, he became president. We didn't. <laughs>
4: well, it's what you you and Lou were, were yeah. not, maybe it was from Carl yesterday talking about, you know, it, it, it's important sometimes to have somebody who's a little off, balanced and not quite readable to the other side, which was certainly the case with Trump uh, vis-a-vis Putin.
2: Yeah.
4: <laughs> Putin, you know, that was about as well-managed a you know, relationship as you could get without having weapons pointed at each other ready to fire. Um, whereas, you know, when everybody is, is pretty much on the same page financially, and I, I think that's kind of the drift of the conversation here, Tom, uh, China and the U.S. Are, are inextricably bound whether they like it or not. I think the Chinese, of course, have an ulterior motive in everything they do, and they see us as something to be replaced, you know maybe l- later rather than sooner. they don't much care about the timeline because they, they think they have all the time. Well the I,
2: don't wanna, I don't want to fall into the trap though, Jack, because I'm trying, after my, my uh, various lectures some Lou about don't assume that my, my logical economic brain works for other people. I mean I, I honestly do believe that any action that we may take is clearly, I won't say run through, but they're, they're not afraid to pick up the fo- phone to the Oval Office, Tim Cook, and say how much it's going to cost him. I mean, I, you and I don't have the number, but I think these people do. I mean, there's, there's big enough companies that do. I guess what I'm saying is we are both assuming, just by what you're just saying, is that somehow or another that same kind of thing is working in China. I'm not so sure it is. I don't, I don't, I don't think this guy gives a rat's behind about Tim Cook. They, they're in a longer, a longer time frame. Uh, if, if it's not Apple, it'll be somebody else. I don't think Z will take that call and be and be be uh, talked down to by a by a, you know a company executive like maybe Biden or Trump or somebody else would. I I don't I think they have a totally different mindset on it. I don't to, I don't think they give a a poop about about Apple twenty years from now. I mean I just think that they think differently, and we I'm, I'm trying to not put everything I think into their mind because I think that's a mistake.
4: I agree with you you know overall and the, the, the way I try to equate them is that China has become a you know for what was you know an important period in its history a fairly prosperous country if you just look at the no- numbers and the quality of life of the average Chinese person uh, and it's unsustainable you know I think it's just very clear it was, it was never going to be something that would always go in one direction and I think now that the heads of state area, you know, which are just feel you know, as m- without morals as you could find. They don't have any feeling for the individual person at all, let alone you know groups of people. They don't even care about Chinese history at all. This is to them, it's all just you know stuff we want to get away from. We have to do it another way now, but they can't escape the fact that they're also inextricably tied up with you know the way things are moving financially wherever and. It will force them. I'm, I'm not saying that they, you know, are, are completely uh, I- intertwined the way we are, maybe with business. But I think they realize that it has to be a factor. They can't ignore it. They will manipulate it, and they, they think they can ride it out, maybe in a way that would horrify us because we we couldn't couldn't imagine. Well, we're to do doing
2: it. we're doing the same thing here, Jan. In a lot of ways, I mean, you're we we're approaching that same level of moral bankruptcy, though. Well, I mean, when you go back, back to... A, well, on our way, really. But, I, I mean, just just from a totally economic point of view, which is what I try and bring to the show if, as best I can, I always go back to Henry Ford's statement. I have to make a car, and i got to pay my people enough where they can afford the car and make it. I mean, it's, it and we we totally have lost... I mean, the Chinese have clearly lost that. that. That's why Milton Friedman was wrong. The people in the factory still are making swap, but That doesn't mean... If you and I open up a factory over there, we're, that's our total cost. So we're going to be paying off the politician, the party guy, to make sure that the people in the, in the plant toe the line or something bad happens to them. So, you know what I'm saying? We're doing the same thing without any regard to the fact that if you actually paid those people more, everybody else would be would be better off in the end. Same thing here. That the people at the top 1%, they're gaga, the, the inflation rate is 12%, and they're... They're part of that. They're charging more. The big companies—they got this guy on TV yesterday. He goes, "Revenue over the last year is up 13 percent. How could we be in a recession? You dummy! The inflation's 13 percent. You haven't gained anything, <clears throat> right? I mean, but, well, but how many
4: people working to make shoes for Nike or cl- clothing for anybody, any textile manufacturer, whatever? How many of those people could buy a pair of those shoes for that's themselves? What I'm saying. They the can't. for they family, if they're slave labor.
2: But <laughs> my, my point is, is if. If everybody is participating, even if you're at the top, you end up doing better because they've got more dough for you to take. I mean, I mean, it's you know, I mean right now. I mean, the the Boeing people that solved it, that did this contract. In the next three years, they are in a recession. Their res- their, their increase is going to be fourteen percent, and the inflation is going to be twenty. Right, and but depends on how you define it. If everybody else is redefining it. I'll redefine it. Every every, every I say eighty five of the individual people, eighty five percent of the individual people in this country is in a personal recession. Just saying. I don't know, I get to do that but everybody else gets to do it? Right. Well, I don't if,
4: if, if things get dire enough, and I suspect eventually they will, Tom, y- you're right. There won't be enough. There won't be any bargaining power by an Apple or any other tech giant or whatever else because it, it will have been decided that that's now no longer how we're going to dictate right. who makes money here. And if it means that we have to extinguish half the world's population and that there won't be anybody to buy iPhones or Teslas or anything else anymore, that's okay because we've got other plants there anyway. So just move
2: move to the market. Yeah, and just a different Your day
4: world. is over. Somebody else is going to take your place, and, and nobody's going to shed a tear over your loss. So this is this is just how cruel and draconian, I, I think, a world we're moving to.
2: Oh, God, let's hope not. Buddy, take care of yourself. S&P futures up 9, NASDAQ is up 46. Uh, so, Matt, if you had the tickets to the St. Louis Skybox last night, are you going to the 12 o'clock game today? <laughs> Good question. Hey, back tomorrow, Stocks and Jocks. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't
5: know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Dax Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.